Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, our bi-weekly Babysitter's Club podcast where we are rereading one of our favorite all-time book series and exploring the world of Stony Brook through adult and 2022 eyes, which I have some 2022 thoughts about this one <laughs> because this week we are up to our sixth Super special, New York, New York. And yes, there is an exclamation point on that title because... I was going to say you're not suitably excited in saying the name because there's an exclamation point. <laughs> you're exactly right. I was saving my like dramatic energy for the back of the book, Fair. but I, we need to go. It's a super special. Who am I kidding? We should be going all in. Today, we are talking about New York, New York. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's That's the drama I was looking for. <laughs> Okay, good. Glad glad that I could deliver. Well, I am excited, and we should have that much energy. Because it is a super special, we are lucky enough to have a very super special guest. And today, we are joined by the lovely Chrissy Varnell. Yay! Hi! I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is a packed book, so we have lots to discuss. Before we do, uh, we do want to hear a little bit more about you, Chrissy. So Chrissy was introduced to us through my cousin, Lynn, the librarian who joined us a couple of, of well, I guess it was our last super mm -hmm. special already. Gosh, time flies when we're having this much fun. And I got to know a little bit about Chrissy and her taste through their uh, book recommendation podcast uh, about some of their favorite YA novels. And I just, I loved, I mean, I love hearing people whose taste that I enjoy than, you know, other things that they like. So big fan of that. So we're excited to have you here and want to hear a little bit more about you. So I am friends with Lynn. She she used to be my boss. And so I feel like we, uh, we, we kind of towed that line for a little bit, but now she's no longer my boss. And so I'm like, oh, we're, we're actually, we're real friends now. Um, <laughs> so we do, uh, we both work at the Chattanooga Public Library and I manage the maker space there. So I'm no longer uh, on the, you know, the YA side of things, but that doesn't take away my love. <laughs> so besides working at the library, I still do professional theater things um, as a side hustle, still in that world as well. So kind of like a mixture of library and arts. That's kind of my overall story. That's amazing. Yep. We'll have to come down and visit you, you and Lynn, and see some of your productions yeah. and your library and just check everything out. Well, I think that everybody should visit our library, of course. I'm I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're transitioning over to maybe more Babysitter's Club specific. What is your history with the Babysitter's Club? <sighs> so I have an older sister. She's five years older. And so she got into it before I did. And then as I started to read in her footsteps, and then I ended up reading past her because, you know, she's five years older. She she aged out before mm -hmm. me, but always a big, big fan. And I think that there was like this part of me looking back that was like, I'm going to start a babysitter's club, which I feel like everybody kind of did that, that mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial spirit of the books, I think, has remained with me. But um, having been a professional nanny, I had so much fun going back and reading this book because I was like, mm, I feel like maybe there were some babysitting techniques that <laughs> were maybe not the best. And we can get into that. I'm sure we will. I just feel like there were some parenting choices that would not be yeah, made right. in uh, the way they were or would right. be today in twenty. Maybe give the full full picture to your children's babysitters so they know what's going on with their their charges lives. Exactly. Maybe. maybe exactly. If you are a very important diplomat who like 
is in danger to the point of needing a full-time bodyguard that is living with you, maybe don't allow your children to be babysat by two rando 13-year-olds who are like rando to the randos Uh, that you met. So that was that was one of my biggest things (laughs) where I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. But also, I mean, I know we will get here, but I just want to go ahead and say it on the record. The fact that these two young teenage, literal teenage babysitters are like, we noticed that there was a stalker, but we're not going to tell. We don't want to tell the parents yet. And it's like, what? Because mm-hmm. they didn't want to lose the babysitting right. job. <laughs> like, right. We might not get to babysit anymore if we tell them about this guy who's been following these children around everywhere we go. Right. It is bananas. It's funny because there is another episode where Jesse has some dance-related shenanigans, and we were like, oh my god, tell an adult. Like, you are being literally threatened. Speak up. And I was like, oh my god, back on the bullshit again. Like, what is with these girls? For I get, like, not telling an adult when the teachers are mean to you. Fine. But, like, if there's, if you're being stalked around New York City... Tell a freaking right, adult. Right, It's just, ugh. it kept getting less and less realistic. Yeah. So I have one more question before we dive into the book. What girl are you? Oh, yeah. I knew that this was coming. <laughs> and this is, you can have multiple answers. You oh, can have, God. like, who you really are, mm-hmm. who you aspire to be, who you were as a kid. Like, yeah. wh- however you want to answer is fine. So. <laughs> no, no pressure. I think I'm a Claudia. I think that I, but then again, there's certain things that she does in this book that I was like, ugh. Shit. I don't like I don't want to be a Claudia, but that's I I remember loving her as a child. Artsy. Yeah, we're gonna go with Claudia. We're going with Claudia. Sticking with it. Final answer. Yeah, she's got like the fashion side, but she's got the art side. Yeah. Claudia. Love it. Oh God, I feel like I'm I'm anxious now because I've got I've got some notes on on her actions. (laughs) Oh, trust me, as a self-acknowledged Christie, I have you know, I have that crisis at least once every other book. I, I got to tell you, though, aside from, you know, trying to keep a dog at a place, again, who I cannot ex- over express how, like, the Cummingses are are saintly people. But other than that, Christy kind of had a great book. Anyway, the point is, I, I know how you feel because I was relieved. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> good I had a good book. <laughs> you start to feel real proprietary, especially when you're reading them week after week and, you know, telling mm-hmm. everyone listening to you all about, you know, how, how much you identify with some of the not awesome things. That right. <laughs> well, yeah. Kate, who are you? So I am most like Marianne with a little bit of Claudia. Okay. Got that Claudia spirit. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the jewelry making is really sort of the yes. main focus of, of my Claudia-ness. But definitely a Marianne. And, and the like <laughs> cool fashion beat, beat to your own drummer, like fashionable, but That's like true. in your own, like not trendy. Not or, quite like... as outlandish as Claudia, but doing my own thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So now that we know who everyone is, let's dive into the back of the book mm-hmm. and our description so we can really talk about the book because we've obviously <laughs> already started going down that path and knowing the way we always go, we should just get it out of the way <laughs> so we can have the conversation that we're all dying to get to. I am very excited to give the back of the book description all the drama that the exclamation point in the title implies. So let's uh, let's dive in. So just go over our facts and figures to begin with. As we mentioned, this is the sixth 
super special. It was released in June 1991, and actually Anne M. Martin was our author. So I will come back to this. I just want to put a little pin in and and mention the June and like call that out because we're going to talk a little bit about some timeline stuff at some point, and I did a little bit of investigation. So just, just making sure we remember that. All right, back of the book. The babysitters have always wanted to be sophisticated New Yorkers like Stacy. Well, now, here's their chance. Stacy has invited them all to the city for a vacation. Side note, that's a generous interpretation of what happened. Yes. But, all right. In between shopping and seeing the sights, the babysitters manage to have plenty of excitement. Jesse meets a boy ballerina. Claudia and Mallory take fancy art lessons. And Christy makes a special friend. Dawn eats her way through the city. And Stacy and Marianne have a babysitting mystery. Is New York as good as they've always dreamed? You bet. Again, very strange details to focus on in a number of like, or a number of like weird ways to phrase it. Like Dawn eating her way through the city and Christie's special Special friend. friend. Like, I mean, Dawn did not eat her way through the city. She did literally one day. The last day. Other than that, she never left Stacey's apartment. We'll get to it. Yeah, because Dawn, uh, once again, I feel bad for Dawn because the plot, it, it seems to be that every time Dawn is a pill, it's its out of character for her or overblown in a way because it's necessary for the plot in, in some way, shape, or form. And she ends up looking bad because mm-hmm. of it. And and it's, it's uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we will definitely get into it. But Kate, why don't you tell us what we're getting into? Yeah. Because she is kind of the fucking worst through this book. And that's... <laughs> we'll dive yeah. in. Yeah. They're, they're, like you said, the back of the book description is a little light on specifics. So here's... And like misleading. Right. So here here's the real story. Okay. So our overarching plot, Claudia wants to go to an open art school in New York City to study with, quote, real professional artists. And there's another two-week school vacation coming up because, of course, there is. Stacy was already spending it with her dad, and she he says not only can Claudia stay with them, but all of Stacy's friends are welcome to come too. And of course, all the girls jump on that opportunity. They have various adventures in New York City and end the trip with a night on the town, being chauffeured in a limo to shop, eat at the Tavern on the Green, and see a Broadway show, all courtesy of Lane's dad. So Christie's plot. Christy babysits Dawn for a few days, but heads off into her own adventure after finding a lost dog in Central Park with Jesse. There are some dog-hiding antics before Mrs. Cummings finds the dog, which Christy named Sonny due to his resemblance to her old dog Louie for quote-unquote son of Louie, and tells Christy she needs to find his old owner or a new owner. After hanging flyers, Christy hears from a boy named Brandon whose parents said he could get a pet. Christy meets them, and Sonny has a new forever home. Claudia and Mallory. The girls both decide to take art classes at the Fine Arts League of New York, which are taught by an impressive artist named Mackenzie Clark. Claudia gets frustrated when she keeps being told to slow down and be disciplined, and Mallory is ecstatic at being told her work is good due to her focus and discipline. Claudia treats Mallory poorly due to her jealousy and frustration. Ultimately, though, we find out that Mackenzie sees Claudia's talent, which is wasted without discipline, and Mallory's discipline, but not necessarily the same talent that Claudia has. Mallory ultimately realizes she's good at the art she likes to do and that she wouldn't want to do the art that Claudia or Mackenzie do anyway. Claudia apologizes to Mallory, and Mallory decides to write a book soon. Stacey and Marianne. The girls get a daily babysitting job for the children of English diplomats who are in New York City for international political 
work for the same two weeks that the girls are visiting. The kids are cute and well-behaved, and the girls take them on daily excursions all over the city. They all have a great time, but Marianne realizes they're being followed by man by a man in sunglasses and a rain hat. Stacy initially thinks she's imagining things, but then sees him as well. They come up with many increasingly extravagant explanations for him to be around before finally telling the parents about him, only to be told that, unsurprisingly, he's their bodyguard. Dawn. Dawn is terrified of New York City and spends several days in a row at Mr. McGill's apartment cleaning and avoiding being murdered or mugged on the streets. Eventually, a boy from the building with a broken ankle knocks on the door looking for someone to hang out with because his parents told him Stacy was visiting her dad for two weeks. They spend lots of time talking on the fire escape before he takes her on a day-long tour of the city, showing her all the things he loves, and she has a great time and isn't scared at all. Jesse. Jesse wants to see Lincoln Center since that's where the ballet performs, and while there, she goes to an afternoon performance of Swan Lake, where she ends up sitting next to a, quote, gorgeous boy ballet dancer. He says he's good enough to get into Juilliard, but doesn't want to dance because the guys in his neighborhood make fun of him. Jesse spends more time with him, including a movie marathon at his apartment and another afternoon performance, this time of Capella, before telling him he has to audition for Juilliard. He decides to do it, but wants her to be there when he tells his parents. They are again, unsurprisingly, completely supportive. Jessie has to say goodbye after that conversation and gets her first kiss, which is probably a little problematic given that we find out in the epilogue that he has auditioned for and gotten into Juilliard, indicating he's likely 17 or 18. Which I will say, after I wrote the summary, I did look up auditioning for Juilliard. For the dance program currently, you have to be 16 on the date that you start at Juilliard. So, Assuming the timeline, he could be fifteen. Like assuming that the the uh, you know audition process is still. That's what I was about to get to. (laughs) So it's not quite as bad, but it's still bad. The end. (laughs) Yeah, I, I. Well, I mean. The no one is acting their age in this book, even like or pretending. I should say no one is treating these characters right. as if they are the ages they are. Like this is clearly a twenty-somethings book that they just like essentially forgot that they're supposed to be in middle school. Right. Um, that Jesse's eleven. <laughs> I, I mean, all of them. The the fact that these parents just were like, sure, thirteen year olds, just go have a two week basically unsupervised vacation in New York City. Have fucking fun. Like Mr. McGill's working the entire time. Also, love how the the like Mr. McGill's like, sure, bring the whole club. <laughs> Oh, by the way, no half room. of you, like, volunteers the Cummings's apartment. Like, the, oh, I, this whole thing, there's preposterous. This is almost the same level as preposterous of a premise as the Island Adventure in, in like, a very different, mm-hmm. more grounded, like, kind of way. But, like, when you actually stop and think about, like, the things that right. are happening, it is just as absurd. Oh, I, mm, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, like... What is happening? <laughs> I had to go back and like double check that Jesse was one of the younger ones during the whole like I'm going to Juilliard. I'm like I want to go to Juilliard, but and I was just like, am I am I crazy? Is she she's eleven, right? She's in sixth grade, which I was in. I was ten when I was in sixth grade, so mm-hmm. she could be ten. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> like hold up, right? And clearly not a murderino. Right. Where are you going? Who are you going to see? Like, give me the address. I'm coming over. I need to meet his mom and his family and make sure you're not about to be murdered. Sort of same thing with Christy going to meet Brandon's family with the dog. I mean, Lane's mom is like, oh, yeah, just give me the address of where you're going and I'll pick you up in an hour. And it's like, okay, they could be murderers, too. Right. And 
and both of those had like, well, first of all, there was Jesse being like, uh, is this because I'm 11? And like, no, because it's fucking New York City and they're strangers. And then with Christie's, like, then she describes the apartment building as like gross and like beaten, or, like run down. I'm like, so you just let this 13 year old child wander into a random, not great, rundown apartment building? I mean, granted, she's a very privileged child, right? Y- yeah. She may not be that she's she's a literal child of a stepchild of a multimillionaire and lives in a mansion. So, but her- also, Brandon's apartment is four blocks from the Dakota. How You're how exactly terrible right. a neighborhood are we talking here? It's not. It's like it's not possible that it's actually a. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, it's Christie's perception and 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 we've and privilege. You know, you know, it could just right. be it's, the fact that it didn't have a doorman. It's not was, a mansion. Made it a rundown. So exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's not a man child. <laughs> oh, and like seriously, the scene just everybody being treated like they're adults or like acting like they're adults. The scene when uh the Cummings finally find the dog, which like I mean, again, that was Christy was really great in a lot of ways in this book, but trying to keep a dog from these people whose lives you have just like fully crash landed into. Then they sit down and they discover that while they've been sneaking the dog in and out, dogs aren't actually banned in the Dakota. It's totally fine. And they, like, think that they're having this chuckle. They're like, so you mean this whole time we could have been putting the dogs in and out? And they, like, laugh and laugh. And I'm like, what, what, what is happening here? Why are you all acting like this is some normal, like, everyday interaction when this child, who you don't know, <laughs> brought a dog into your home? I, just, I can't. I'm even. also still not convinced that the dog didn't already have an owner like when yeah when christy you, says he's well trained right like, yeah. that doesn't happen on the streets no no it does not and so near the near the end i like couldn't remember what happened because i read it you know uh, a bit ago as a child mm-hmm. right um, and, and so i was like oh good she put up these flyers that i know that this is going to end with an owner and they're going to be like oh buddy or you know whatever thank you for finding my dog yes but instead no you just find a a random new owner i mean i feel there is somebody walking around in new york being like where's my dog i miss my dog right i spent a long time training my dog (laughs) (laughs) yeah and those flyers did not have pictures and she was like have you seen or Sunny, are you missing Sunny? And I'm like, who the fuck knows who what Sunny is? Like, this is, have you lost a dog? Well, and she's like, okay, he's that- part collie and probably three years old. And it's like, the vet thinks he might be three. Also, you're just assuming he's part collie because he kind of looks like your old dog who was a collie. That doesn't mean that you would know that, oh, that's my dog. You found my dog. Yay. Very true. And I have to be honest, though, I was really annoyed with her, that whole plot line, really right up until the moment where she's like, I called him Sonny because son of Louie, because he reminded me of Louie. And that was, I immediately was like, damn it, you got me. Like, I immediately softened. I was like, okay, I get it. Now I understand at least why she's Mm -hmm. acting this way. And I wish... I, I mean, I like that it was subtle. I'm ba- I go back and forth because I like that it was subtle. And then they just sort of like indicate that the Cummings like kind of looked at each other. Like, she, what did she call it? Like a kid look like something where they, they sort of indicate that they now understand what's going mm-hmm. on here, too. I And that's why I'm not sure if I wish that there was more of a like obvious for the kids, you know, tie or that I like that they kept it subtle. I don't know. I go back and forth. I feel that 
in middle school or younger ages that are reading this, sometimes you need to be like smacked over the head with some That's things because I mean. it's like mm-hmm. I like the oh I'm trying to work through the trauma of Louie by stealing a dog like <laughs> right but right. don't worry and, and I lied to the these dog people. into an apartment yeah <laughs> right exactly yeah well and yeah I think that's like you're saying like the end of that plot is like everything worked out great and Christy doesn't get in trouble for sneaking a dog into her friend of a friend's parents apartment and like leaving him there and luckily Mrs. Cummings was there to like hear him being like I gotta go to the bathroom or else there would have been a big big mess in that guest bedroom well and it's also maybe not teaching like the most responsible pet care ever Just being like, don't worry, it'll be fine. An adult will come. Everything's fine. Uh, Yeah. Everything's fine. We put some newspapers down. It's (laughs) fine. (laughs) And like animals are freaking unpredictable. I mean, my dog is, I used to, when I first got him and we were working on boundaries and things, he used to stay in the bathroom when I was at work and was totally fine in there, comfortable. And so we went to visit my parents and left him in a bathroom and he freaked out and like chewed up the side of the wall. So that's a fun thing to replace, but not the side of the wall, but the side of the door frame. So like that, why I, he's my dog who I knew well and knew how he reacted in, in certain ways. I mean, I guess I didn't know well at that point. He was still early on. The point is, this is a random dog off the street. How does she know that he's not going to eat everything in sight or, uh, you know, bark constantly the whole time or any other normal random wild dog behaviors that you just are like it'll be totally fine nothing's gonna get ruined or be a problem which is not like christy is the problem right is i think what i'm having and that's why i like the fact that it was a it was about louis and i think you're right that i i wish it was a little bit more like one conversation that was like, look, I get that that you, like you said, are working through something. Maybe you don't have to say that, but like. <laughs> I get it. You acknowledge, got some feelings. Acknowledge <laughs> the, the things that she's experiencing without saying you're going through some shit. Like, Right. Yeah. And like, like you said, Kate, have some kind of consequence for like, yeah, we get that. Because maybe that's a great, not maybe, I'm just realizing that's a great message. You are allowed to, or. I should say trauma makes us sometimes act in ways that, you know, are not our best selves, but that doesn't absolve you from the consequences. If you hurt people, if you take mm-hmm. actions that have consequences, even if you understand why, it doesn't mean that you get to go, oh, sorry, well, I, I you know, I was traumatized, so I, I don't have to deal with the consequences of my actions. It right. doesn't work that way. It's an explanation, uh, not an excuse. Exactly. And that's a really good message because we we certainly know plenty of people. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't speak for it, but I certainly know plenty of people who who love to lean on the, well, I can't control myself because of my, you know, insert here. Let's just start taking notes of how this book should actually be written. <laughs> that's usually uh, how we do that a lot. <laughs> in part, most of our conversations. Okay, so I feel like talking about trauma, let's talk about Dawn. Where is this insane? Sorry, I shouldn't say insane because that mental but health. What is her damage? Like, what? Dawn? Why? Where? <laughs> why are you freaking out? Like, why are you forcing yourself to read only the news about murders and muggings? And why are you so focused on this? Why are you terrified of New York? Also, why are you here if you're so scared? Okay, well, Dawn is a murderino. Thank you. First of all, she yes. is very true. Which <laughs> very true. But well, I don't know because murderinos tend to not be 
like scared and locked in their houses. We tend to be murderinos so that we go right, out so in the don't. world clear eyed and, you know, like don't f- become one of those victims or at least set ourselves up for the best chance of not. Whereas she was seeing it and just like shutting down. But I- I'm with you, Kate. I literally wrote down like 17 different times in my notes. Go the fuck home, Dawn. Why are you fucking here, Dawn? This was not a like group outing. No one had to be there. She 100% could have opted out of it. Also, as so they mention a couple of times in this one, oh, and coming to New York for Stacy's to see Stacy in the hospital. That was in the last book. And they go back and forth for like Two days. Mm-hmm. They like go, Saturday and Sunday, well, back to back. And Sunday. So, you know, clearly this is not, I think Stacy even mentions it's n- almost four hours round trip to like go back and forth when she, one of the times that she's talking about it. Because I noted, I was like, that's not bad at all. Like you could easily do well, that. Well, I think day. in this one, so, they say they were on the train for like an hour before they get to New yeah. York. So it's not even that long. <laughs> it's, it's wild how like not far it is. All you have to do is, well, first of all, they're making such a big deal about the packing. That was the first time I noted. I was like, y'all went back and forth in a day. If you forget something, run home and come back and get it. It's not the end of the world. Also, you're in fucking New York City. You'll be able to find whatever you forgot. But, you know, that's a whole other story. But yeah, go home, Dawn. Stop. Right. Like, Well, but she does say, and, sorry, I because I was having these same feelings about Dawn, but then I kind of had um, halfway through where I was like, Oh, actually, I kind of feel for Dawn. Um, she says Ooh, I love it. somewhere where it's like, I would just go back home, but they would never let me live it down. Yeah. Now, whether or not that's true, it doesn't, that's, it's up here. And it kind of like shows um, some of the mean girl culture that is so within these mm-hmm. books that I think that we read past because it's like, oh, well, I said I was sorry. And I think she knew mm-hmm. what I meant, you know? Right. And so. There was this part of me that was like, oh, no, I get it. There's like some peer pressure going on there. And um, I think that this is a really good example of showing massive anxiety in teenagers just in a really weird time where we weren't really talking about that yet. And, and I get it. It's yeah. annoying. It so is. But the second that she started cleaning, I was like, I get Dawn. Am I a Dawn? Like, because that's what <laughs> yeah. I – my. My parents make fun of me all the time whenever we go on vacation. The first thing that I start doing when we get to our, you know, Airbnb or wherever, I just start cleaning and organizing because there is like this sense of anxiety of like, oh, it's a new place. Let me rearrange it, mm-hmm. even though it's somebody's mm-hmm. home. So maybe that's not the best thing. <laughs> Take it back, scratch. But I think that it was kind of almost an attempt at talking about anxiety in an annoying way. <laughs> yeah. I think this is another example where they could have been a little bit more clear, you know, because I talking through this more like it is obviously that's what was going on, but they never really address that that's what's happening. It's like, oh, well, she makes this new friend and then she goes out and hangs out with him because she's having a good time. And like, it's never really sort of examined as to like why, why Dawn is feeling this way, why right. she, why she takes it on herself to clean as, you know, to give herself something to do and, you know, take her mind off of why she's so anxious. Um, but they just never sort of examine that at all. It's just like, oh, thank goodness Richie showed up and now she can sit on the fire escape and talk to him and he can, you know, talk her out of her anxiety because only Oops. two people out of eight million got murdered last night. That's one in four million chances. You're fine. Like, that's not really going to work for someone who is actually anxious and has anxiety. Right. So maybe maybe give us a little bit more to like, 
you know, if you as a child reading these books feel the same way that Dawn is feeling, maybe you should talk to your parents about that. Or maybe you should talk to your doctor. Maybe you should talk to your school guidance counselor. I don't know. Like, but there's more to it than just cleaning and then finding a new friend and everything is right. fine. <laughs> Richie, the armchair psychologist, he, right. he drug me out. <laughs> yes. Right. Tapped into things I'd never knew were possible <laughs> at 13. <laughs> but like... I, exactly. I was thinking the same thing, Kate, that like, I, I think that there's some really great stuff around anxiety here. And I wish it, the two, so this is what we mean by playing armchair, like, sec, or not armchair, what is it? Uh, Monday morning quarterback yeah. by like slightly tweaking things uh, largely. And, and we acknowledge this. It's more with a 2022 perspective because we're talking about anxiety as we talk about it now. Right, like right. they just weren't equipped back then. I, I'd never even heard the word at this time, you know? So but I was thinking now, if we were doing this plot line, it would be something where the, the mean girl or the like teasing about it would be part of it, where it would be like Dawn saying, I can't go on this trip. It's not good for my anxiety. And having, you know, some of the girls not understand and some of the girls be supportive and like learn a lesson or, um, you know, have her like have to learn the lesson that sometimes it's OK to stay back when our, you know, when we don't want to do something for whatever reason. Right. Or, you know, there's lots of different ways that it could go. But it did make me kind of rethink, you know, some of our read on Dawn and Mrs. Schaefer in particular, like, we're constantly hearing how Dawn has to keep the house in order and how Dawn has to constantly go around and rearrange things. And I'm like, I'm wondering now how much of that is Mrs. Schaefer being scatterbrained and disorganized, and how much of that is Dawn being overly anxious and there are different presentations of things like ADHD and other neuroatypicalities that like there's inattentive ADHD like me or losing things or misplacing all over the place. But anxiety can lean into that OCD overly, you know, uh, regimented where it, it's all very linked and related. So I think that that would be really interesting mm -hmm. if we were approaching it now to really look more at that as opposed to taking it as a given the way that we do of, of oh, Mrs. Schaefer's right. so flighty and Dawn has to be responsible to clean up after her. Where if we acknowledge there is reason, like we said, explanation, not excuse, but also Dawn's need for everything to be just so isn't necessarily right or the only way or healthy in its own right, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. That's. I feel like everything that you just described, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm a Dawn. Because that is, that's, that is how my... Um, you know, atypical brain. That's how it presents itself, um, because it it was a yeah. it ended up being a coping mechanism of like, this is how I deal with mm -hmm. this <laughs> is by yep. having everything in place. And so, yes, the twenty twenty two lens is so much more woke. <laughs> <laughs> And it, and we know it's not it's not entirely fair. And you know some of it we we take seriously, some of it we over exaggerate. You know because it's it, it's fun. But like you were mentioning the entrepreneurial spirit of it all, so we do predictions. Well, we've evolved to so we sort of do like a grounded version and then a outlandish, crazy, whatever. In any case, my outlandish version was that Christy decided that it was too good of a business opportunity to pass up and she was going to create babysitters clubs like in every building in uh, New York City and franchise them and become like a little mini mogul. And and then I was like, I mean, that's you can see that being a plot in 2022, mm -hmm. like her learning how to harness the Internet or an app now. And this is we, we lament 
the the lack of the show. But like, if it were a different world and there were justice and the show became a huge hit, I can see a version of creating an app that allowed or that helped kids create their own mm-hmm. babysitters club in their neighborhoods. And maybe now we should cut this because we should become entrepreneurs and <laughs> right <laughs> develop that ourselves. So I mean, because they they have that now, but it's for adult nannies. Because when I was looking for a job five years ago mm-hmm. before going to the library, I was like, maybe I'll just go back to being a nanny. And I think it was called like Care Care. I still get emails from them. So it's like, how do we do this safely for children to do it? Right. Cut, cut, cut. We're going to become rich off of this. <laughs> One million percent. Yeah, I was thinking less like an actual care, like because I know those those types of things for like professionals. But I was thinking more like an app that helped little kids set up a babysitter's club for their right. neighborhood. Yes, yeah. That like gave them the structure type of thing. But I, again, I don't even know. The world is so different. I don't know if that even exists uh, anymore or if, like we said, there is no way on God's green earth in 2022 that those diplomats would have given their children into the care of these two 13-year-olds. And I'm like, I'm thinking about my siblings and their their kid and their friends. And I'm like, I can't see them just being like, here, 11-year-old, because I'm thinking about 11-year-olds I know. I, I don't know. It, I don't think it would have happened back then either. That's just me. Right. I could be wrong. I could be yeah, wrong. That's what I was about to say, too. Yeah, I, I don't think that that even in 1991, makes any logical sense. Given, especially, they have, like, their bodyguard. It's not like it's, like, a New York City bodyguard that they, like, hired for the two weeks. Like, they they know that guy. You know, like, their kids know that guy. So, right, he's clearly, like, part of their staff and, like, their entourage or whatever. And it's, like, I guess that's the thing that's unbelievable is, like, they have a bodyguard on staff but they don't have a nanny or, you know, a homeschool teacher situation. Like, clearly these people are traveling all the time. So, like, how are these kids being taught school? You know, like, if they're with their parents, someone needs to be teaching them. So it's like, I I guess I could have understood it more if they were like, our nanny is back in England. She couldn't make the trip with us to New York. We just need someone Mm -hmm. to, like, do the fun stuff with the kids because we aren't going to have time to do the fun stuff. Maybe, maybe I could get behind it. I still think that they wouldn't hire two 13-year-olds they've literally just met to do this, I mean, <laughs> regardless. With the bodyguard, it's almost like the the parents are letting them play babysitter. Right. I guess that's true. Actually, I kind of don't hate that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because there always ha- was like a very responsible right. adult that is there to protect them, even more so than a babysitter would be. So... Yeah. Who babysits the babysitters. Yes. <laughs> Bob, apparently. And who is actually really sweet and was like, I saw the balloons fly right? away. And so I went yeah. I went and got new balloons. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, he cares. <laughs> like, Yeah. He's a sweet, a sweet dude. Although that was the one moment that would have been really creepy and real. Like the a lot of it was just them, you know. Well, no, it would have been creepy, but they would have told an adult a lot sooner, especially when the when the balloon changed color. That I would be like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. like, no, I'm not, I'm not fucking around with that. But also, is Bob magical? Because there are multiple times where he is like in the same place at once, or like, or when they split up and they, they literally split. Yeah, that's him, what I mean. Right? They're like, we're gonna see who he follows, but then he follows both of them. How? How? Or did they do a thing where they're like, we're gonna split up, but? It's the teenage brain and they think that they're split, but they actually can still see each other. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. My head canon was that they went into stores across from each other and Bob stood in the middle of the plaza. <laughs> and so they both, both <laughs> was following me. Yeah. Love that. It's just not good messaging for kids when 
there are are things like that that is genuinely serious. If you see a man following you around, if you see anybody, like, I, I want to be telling kids to trust their gut. Like, mm-hmm. that was the thing. And this one, over and over, Marianne gets a bad feeling. She feels like she is being watched. And I want the story to be like, when you have that feeling, tell an adult. Mm-hmm. We would rather have you say, oh, it's nothing, than... Uh, I tell people at at work that all the time. We would rather have you report something that you think is unsafe and be wrong than have you not say anything yeah. because you think you might look stupid. Like, one of those doesn't end in somebody getting hurt. And that that's what I, I wish they had just pushed that a little bit more. Because otherwise, I think it'd be fun, especially if we if you did sort of say, you know, it made the kids feel independent mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, they have oh they have a, a nanny and a tutor and everything back home. This is their vacation. Yeah. We wanted them to feel like they could be out on their own, but really we had Bob there the whole time. But like tell the babysitters that up front. Yeah, or, although they do know. explain why they didn't tell them because they thought that it would make them act a different way and like try to be overprotective of the kids. And so like I can un- Fair I enough. guess like reading that explanation, I was like, okay, I understand why they didn't tell them. I still think it's stupid. But I can understand, you know, they wanted their kids to not feel like they were being watched all the time. Even though they know that Bob's around, they know who Bob is. But, like, they wanted them to have that, like, normal New York City tourist experience as much as possible. And if Marianne and Stacey had known about the real threats that might be facing these kids and the fact that there's a bodyguard, they would have acted weird and uncomfortable and tried to tried to be right. overprotective in a way that they didn't need to be because Bob was there. I would I would have told one of them. Actually, that kind of would have been a good thing because you know Marianne has no chill and wouldn't have been able to keep cool. Maybe they would have been like, "Oh, Stacy's a, a New Yorker, she's sophisticated. Yeah. She can handle it." And they told Stacy so she knew what was going on and then the plot was Marianne seeing this and Stacy not knowing whether or not to like Right downplay it or tell her and then they could have a conversation about you know trusting your gut look she was marianne was right all along and she and stacy could talk about it could keep the agency with them in a way that felt safe right. as opposed to no tell a fucking adult when you think you're being stalked yeah. with children especially children of diplomats like it, they were in a highly unique situation like if it was just jamie newton i can see why they might not you know think it was a Lindbergh baby situation but like these are actual Lindbergh adjacent people. So. Well, but we know we know how that. No, let's not get into the Lindbergh baby. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. let's That's get real. <laughs> yeah. One thing I did really love about that plot was when Stacy and Marianne are like trying to figure out who it might be, like what the situation is, and one of Stacy's outlandish, you know, predictions or you know ideas is that they were at the airport and this man put something into Alistair's backpack, like microfilm, and he's following them because he needs to get it back. And we got to keep, you know, keep Alistair protected because he's trying to get his stuff out of his backpack. And it's like, what movies are you watching, Stacey? Oh, no, that's the plot of one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. It's that is the plot of an Audrey Hepburn movie called Wait Until Dark. She's blind. Mm. And Alan Alda flips drugs in her doll and then comes to get it from her her house because he thinks she's going to be an easy mark because she's black. Mm-hmm. Like he thinks he can like. But she turns the tables on him and it's oh, it's good. They like it was a whole gimmick thing back in the day because they 
like the second half of the movie, like she, in order to turn the table, she turns off all the lights because she knows her place in the dark. He doesn't. And they asked all the movie theaters to turn the lights off as much as possible. And like a bunch of movie theaters got in trouble because they turned the lights all the way off. And like, because it was the 60s. Right. <laughs> and then they're like, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. Not okay. But so that I actually did love that detail because that was one of my, I loved Audrey Hepburn. I still love Audrey Hepburn and I love horror movies. And so it was like very my very my wheelhouse. I'm so glad I got to share that. But I did love that. And I especially loved that they were having that conversation at all because it made me think of us, Kate, and our outlandish Mm -hmm. predictions. I was like, they're essentially doing what we have started to have so much fun doing when we're talking about what comes next in the books. And I was like, I was like, oh, we're just like them. Bonding moment for us in the BSC. (laughs) Definitely. And then I felt very cheesy, but you know. I do love also that we are now all the way in and we have not talked at all about Claudia and Mallory, who are ostensibly the reason we're here in the first place, which, you know, I think about sums up my feelings about that particular plot, mostly because it just feels like we've had this versions of this plot many times and there were some opportunities to do interesting things with it that weren't taken. And so it just sort of felt like a shrug to me. But I, I don't know if you guys had the same impression and just, or were excited about it, just hadn't gotten around to talking <laughs> it, about it yet. I have so many feelings. And especially like where it goes in the end, where ultimately that conversation, not so much, I mean, the, not so much the conversation between Mac and Claudia and the bus, but the conversation when Mallory goes back inside, mm-hmm. I like, oh, like, am I going to tear up right now? Maybe. Because it's just like, I hated that. The, are you asking me if you have her talent? No. Yeah. Like, because I felt like that a lot. Like when I was trying to figure out where Mm -hmm. I was going to college and I was like going to art schools and showing my portfolio. And I'll be the first to say it. I am not a good draw, draw, drawer, drawer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to be like, I'm not a good artist. I'm a great artist. I just can't draw things very Mm -hmm. well. But I just hated that that's like that final thing that he said, because it's like, don't tell that to a kid. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like when I was told those things, it was like, this is not your strongest skill, but you want to be an artist and you have a super eye for design. You have a super eye for, you know, color. Like, so maybe. (laughs) Or here's the thing. He clearly was way into like hyper realism, right? right? With all of the look at the angles and the perspectives. She wants to illustrate children's books. Like maybe her style of art is just not your fucking style of art. I think that that was my biggest frustration with this plot line altogether is it was telegraphed so far from the beginning, like where this was going. We've had variations on this before. I was like, I wish we would have had a conversation where it was just a teacher, where it was just a teacher wasn't that impressed with Claudia. Because I don't care, you can be the best artist in the world, and there's still going to be people who are not your biggest fans. And her attitude, frankly, fucking sucked. Uh And, like, if we would have had more of an emphasis on that, and the lesson could have been around, you know, you don't have to be the best to be deserving of respect. And, like, what does it mean to treat your friend like absolute shit when they do something, quote unquote, better than you that didn't end in a way that dumped all over Mallory? Because... I'm 40. I can handle nearly 40. I can handle the fact that I don't I'm not going to be the best at everything. And I made that determination myself telling an 11 year old to give up on your dreams, essentially, like not okay. Right. That's the message that I got. And thankfully, she Mm -hmm. walked away from it and was like, well, 
I don't do their type of art. And I'm thinking about my little mouse friends. And it's like, well, I'm I'm glad that she got there, but not all kids do. Yeah. Right. Well, the fact that Mallory had to like figure that out herself. You know, she she walks away from this yeah. frankly terrible conversation that and I, same thing that you just said, Lauren. Like, I understand there are things that I'm not good at, but like even at my age, if someone told me like you're not good at this, I would be hurt. Very, I would be very emotional. Yeah. And the fact that Mallory, an, an 11 year old, is told essentially you're bad at this. Try something else. And she walks away and she's like, you know what? Fuck that guy. I don't want to draw a restaurant from, you know, a high up perspective. I want to draw my cute little mice wearing leggings and slouchy sweatshirts and going on an adventure to the big city. Like, like I that love. That sounds awesome, by the way. Right. Like, I love that Mallory was given the opportunity and like the writing of this to be like, I know what I'm good at. I know what I like to do. I don't want to do that anyway. I thought it would make me this better artist and I could be like Claudia, but I don't want to be like Claudia. I want to be Mallory and I want to write a book and illustrate it with my cute little mice. Like, I don't want to drop boxes. This sucks. (laughs) I think if we were seeing this version in the TV series, we would have a tie-in with Jesse and the Quint, like not wanting to do ballet because of the bullies in the neighborhood plot line mm-hmm. and have like, especially since Mallory and Jesse are best friends, that makes great overlap where all of them are really talking about essentially the same thing. Yeah. Like, do you keep persevering? Like one of them has, and, and slightly different sides of the same coin. He has incredible talent. Like, are you going to let somebody stop you from doing what you were born to do because of how it makes you feel? Does it make a difference if you have talent? I feel like there's some really, mm-hmm. really interesting stuff in there that that would be a really cool place to make some connection and that's i understand why the super specials are structured this way we've had that conversation many times and and in fact i think this one overall i'm relatively pleased with how it was balanced i thought like nobody's plot line was too much or too little at the expense of other people they all had sort of unique things to do more so than some other ones uh, you know everything's rushed because of the the nature of what it is but in, in any case i do wish that the super specials did give us more opportunities since we have multiple narrators to have more times like Mallory and Claudia are i appreciated that they were in the same mm-hmm. plot line and there were we were getting the different perspectives on the same thing like more opportunities to have Jesse talk to Mallory about what's happening there, about Mm. what's happening to her, and just sort of link them all in a little bit more organic way than just, you know, whatever the gimmick is for the book. We're writing a a journal to keep together, or I want to send letters to Logan, as as it was with the, you know, whatever their justification for writing Mm. down everything. So anyway, that that was just my, like, another one of my little armchair rewrite (laughs) modern perspective. Yeah, I I really loved that there were essentially like two plot lines where it was two babysitters. You know, I think that mm-hmm. because like we've talked about in other super specials, when all seven of them have their own story, it makes it really even more like disparate and rushed. And here, because even though we still had all the narrators, like with Stacey and Marianne, we were seeing sort of two sides of the same coin, you know, their different perspectives. And then with Mallory and Claudia, I, I really like that in particular, because we did get some very specific instances where they each described the same thing. Like the first mm-hmm. class, Claudia talks about how, you know, Mac comes around and doesn't talk to her other than say, like, you know, go slower and tells Mallory that her art is fine. 
And when Mallory tells the same story, she tells it that Mac told her that her work was good. And I thought that that was Mm -hmm. really interesting, especially given how we know where things go with Claudia's feelings about the classes in that she gets angrier and angrier about Mallory getting any kind of praise and her getting none. And so it's just interesting to see the way that she's telling the story versus the way that Mallory's telling the story. You know, Claudia makes Mallory seem like kind of obnoxious and trying too hard. And, you know, Mallory describes Claudia as, you know, being angry at her. So she's more focused on like the friendship and the feelings that she's getting. Mm -hmm. And Claudia is more focused on why she's not getting the praise that she, you know, deserves and feels like she should be getting because she's always the most talented and she's not getting the feedback that she thinks that should be coming from her, you know, amazing, massive talent. It wouldn't be appropriate for this book. I genuinely was like, I thought about it for a minute and I was like, no, I I don't want to go here. But I think it could be interesting to have a plot line where Mallory does, or maybe not Mallory, but somebody genuinely misinterprets some authority figure's, you know, tacit approval or like sort of passive approval for gushing Mm -hmm. and like thinking they're overly great and like having to recognize that you're not. That's a good mm-hmm. story, having it blow turn into a blown up ego somewhere. But that's not what ha- was happening with Mallory here. So yeah. that's what I mean. It wasn't like it wouldn't be appropriate, but that would be a good story. Or even more of an emphasis on Claudia's like uh, I like that they talked about the dedication and focus thing a little bit, especially with, since we've talked about Claudia and how she presents as very ADHD. That tracks big time. That was very I got felt that in my soul, and. I think, again, not for this book, but it would be interesting to have a plot line where, and I know we talked a little bit about this with Jesse too, so I'm getting more and more convinced, where one of them finally fucking learns they're not the best at everything and everybody's going to be like tumbling at their feet where somebody has to acknowledge that somebody is better or smarter or more talented than them or that maybe like in the case of Claudia, she has a teacher that acknowledges her skill but just doesn't like her art because that's a fucking thing so that's what i was gonna say it was like i really want claudia i don't want to say fail that's a little harsh for a teenager but yeah kind of to to not be the best and just where's that because i I, like (laughs) i almost had my fingers crossed for this one like i almost wanted mac to be like claudia yes you're very talented like blah 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 but also mallory has vision (laughs) You know, or like, even just you're very young, you have a lot to learn, mm-hmm. learn right. of raw skill, but you like you are your attitude is writing texts that your talent cannot currently back up or like more of a put you in your place as opposed to but in a way that like lights a fire. I don't know. It, it's it, it's a hard balance as also because there is real truth to the fact that everybody gets motivated and demotivated by different things. And like. Some people are have that very rocky, like, fuck you, I'm going to do it anyway mentality, and that, like, spurns them on. And that is not me. If somebody tells me that I suck, I'm I'm, I'm a shutdown. And, like, I, this is not me in defense of Rory because Rory is the worst. And stealing a boat was absolutely, like, ridiculously over the top. But in Gilmore Girls, when Rory, like, everybody's really shitting on her for her just, like, shutting down after Logan's dad, and everybody's like, oh, it's the first time anybody's told her that blah, 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 and she's way overreacting. And at the same time, again, not not a Rory defender. And I get that if you are told that you are amazing and brilliant and can do no wrong and nobody's ever, the sun shines out of your ass by everybody your entire life, the first time you get told you're not the best, it can be a real like, whoa, 
knock you off your your feet. And I would love to see that, like you said with Claudia, not fail, but just a little bit of a humbling, I guess, or because otherwise you turn out like Rory and go off the deep end when the first, if it's the first time you find out that the whole world isn't going to bend over backwards for you is when you are, you know, that far down the line. Sorry, that 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 took a little route, but I I hope I think I got back around to the point. I got it. Well, I think here though, we did see Claudia get spurred on by essentially the rejection of Mac. Like when when they're at the cloisters, True. you know, she powers through and he's like, Okay, let me see what you've been working on. And he's like, I want this is too much. You've been you're going too fast. You need to slow down. And she essentially is like, Fine, you want me to take a long time? I'm gonna take three and a half hours on the one picture. Fuck you. And then, of course, that's when he's like, This, this is what I've been waiting for for the past two weeks from you. And, you know, she gets her her, you know, massive talent, you know, gushing. You're right. If it weren't so effusive, mm-hmm. I, I would be I would be liking it a lot more. You're exactly right because she got rewarded for doing what he told her right. to do. He didn't reward her for the the imaginative version of the skating rink that she did, which I did appreciate right. because and I was really worried it was going to turn into a oh I just didn't understand your genius <laughs> moment and because we've seen those mm-hmm. before and I like that she didn't and so I did love that he was putting her in the place about that. But you're right, it turns so like oh, but it's so good. Right. It, if he would have stuck to, look how much better right. it is because you did what I told you to do. But look, you, if you do that every time, then you might get to a right. good place. But yeah, because I, I, you're right. Because there are people that get. I'm, I'm certainly not one of them, but there are definitely people that are they're rocky and like the Claudia and that like you tell me I can't. Well, fuck you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. But I wish more people acknowledge that not everybody works that way because it's so glamorized in how movies, you know, oh, I'm the underdog. Everybody doubts me, so I'm going to prove them wrong. And that's, that is just not how I am wired. If if people doubt me, then I'm like, great, well, then I'm going to be right here proving you right on the couch because why would I bother killing myself for somebody who, who thinks I'm worthless? But if you tell, on the other hand, if that teacher had told me like, you know what? You have real, real talent. If you just buckle down and like, I can see you being really great. That for me would send me into like, I will do whatever it takes. That would be what gets me to concentrate for three and a half hours because I do feel a Claudia on, <laughs> on that. Like, I'm like, mm, I get you, girl. I'm, I'm, especially if it's boring to her stuff that is boring and like not dopamine driven. Like, I was trying to give some grace and like look at it through the ADHD lens and. I get it. I also feel like Claudia should have maybe asked, you're telling me to slow down, but what el- what else could I be? Yeah. Which I think like opens, could have opened a door of like, oh, communicating with mentors because the way that I kind of read it was just, you know, he's constantly like, slow down. But she's still always being like, but why doesn't he, you know, he just tells me to slow down. Fuck you, Mallory. Like... <laughs> Wait, 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 right. What? <laughs> yeah. That is sort of a weird left turn. Like I hate I hate my teacher, so fuck you, Mallory. <laughs> well, this I think is another example of what we were talking about, like children not talking to adults when they should. I think what you're saying, Chrissy, is like a perfect example of that. Like ask him why he mm-hmm. wants her to slow down. Like what what is this what is this going to teach me? You know, like you're there to learn. Just having him be like, focus, slow down, look at the perspective of these boxes. Like, okay, but I'm here to learn, not just to like draw lines all day. Mm-hmm. Like, give me, give me what I'm like working towards with this. You know, like, just because he's this amazing artist doesn't mean he's a good teacher. 
You know, I, th- I think that's the thing is like we see Mallory or not Mallory. We see Claudia be like, oh, my God, Mackenzie Clark is our teacher. Oh, my God. He's so amazing. I, ho- I wonder if he's married. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about, you 13 year old? But but like, yeah, just because he's a great artist doesn't mean that he's a great teacher for mm-hmm. everyone. And I think it would have been interesting to get more of an examination of like, please explain to me what I'm supposed to be learning from this, whether it's Mallory or Claudia. They're mm-hmm. like, hey give us a little bit of teaching here, buddy. We paid you this money for this class. I don't want to just, you know, go to the cloisters and sit there for a day and draw. Like, what am I supposed right. to be taking away from this? Because it's only a two-week class. So it's like, it's not like, you know, you you build really slowly. It's like a whole semester or something. And it's like, I could understand why you might draw boxes for a few days. And then you have a lesson on like what that was supposed to teach you. And, you know, we're going to take that lesson and we're going to add on and do this. And you're going to learn this other thing. And like, I guess, yeah, I, I don't understand how this open school works. Like, because you just come in at any time and, like, you, you, whatever class is going on, you take it. Like, I I don't understand what you're supposed to learn, especially as, like, an 11 or 13-year-old. Maybe if you're, like, an adult or, like, an older teenager and you have a little bit more, you know, practice and experience, maybe you would t- be able to take more away from this. But, like, Mallory's never had any, as far as we can tell, no art classes other than, like, at school. So, like... Where would she even have learned any of this drawing technique at all? That's why she's, like, erasing every single thing, because she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but sure, just draw some boxes. You're going to learn. The way I sort of interpreted it, and this could be completely wrong, but so there was a a, a pet training school that I, I worked with, and they basically had, like, a rotating schedule where, like, there were, like, nine topics, and each week was a different topic, and then you could just, like, you could start whenever mm. you wanted and then when you finished with each top, then you were done. But but it like you know, I would start on week three, which was loosely leash walking, and then I'd get work my way back around. But somebody else could start on week you know seven, yeah. whatever. So I, that's kind of how I interpreted it, which is exactly what I was thinking earlier. I was like, why are they just letting these kids in? And why was this teacher so invested? Because I feel like if it's that kind of class, like you said, this is not a good teacher. They're just like, here, here's some perspective stuff. And honestly, that could have been an interesting story that, you know, just because you're an amazing artist doesn't mean you're a good teacher. Like, let's unpack that. Like, not every person has to teach you something. Or it could have been interesting to have a, a, where like, maybe it was just, they weren't supposed to be like a teacher and we didn't talk about that, but it was just Claudia having to learn that artists don't owe you anything like they didn't have you know doesn't have to take an interest doesn't have to be blown Mm -hmm. away and sit with her on the bus and like take a deep it just you are one of hundreds of students that comes cycling through here like even the fact that she's getting this one-on-one conversation in the first place is wild so like you know how many other people are in this class who's signing up there's just lots of too much shorthand that gets sort of lost uh, and and makes it just not quite as there's so much good stuff here is I think what I'm I'm I, I it always sucks on a super special. They have to do short, mm-hmm. simple ver- simplified versions when we get plot lines that there's so much good stuff that could fill out a whole book. Right. It all that's always the bummer when you're like, damn it, I like especially when we figure it out in the podcast when we're talking through it and we're like, Man, there could have been so much fun stuff here. And yeah, it just loving it for what it is. <laughs> I also mildly got the sense that uh, when they were describing the school, I was like, oh, God, this is one of those art schools that like praise not not even school, but like, you know, praise upon people yeah. that are not give us from your money. <laughs> give us your money. And oh, like the modeling. Right, academies. That's, that's exactly yeah. what I also thinking about because um, this 
guy is obviously not the best teacher. I was like, is his like part of his artist in residency that it's like he has he's required to teach these classes <laughs> right like we'll give you all this money to, you know create your your art but also you have to do these classes for these students so i of course was going into this backstory of like why is he here with these children because he obviously yeah. doesn't oh my god now i have the best image in my head of him just like going into a classroom every day, setting up a pile of boxes, telling everybody to draw it as slowly as possible and get every detail while he goes in the corner and yeah, works, works on his on art. His art. <laughs> and then when somebody's like, I'm finished, he's like, no, he no, goes no, over and arranges the boxes and like, start no, that's, again. That's literally in my mind. That's what was happening. Yeah, that's the head kid. I love this. Love <laughs> like, this. I know that. I know that artist. <laughs> nice work if you can get it, Mac. That like. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, man. The only other like big picture thing that we haven't really touched on. And I don't, and I admit this might be a good transition into some of our more random thoughts because I don't know how much we actually want to get into it. But there was a lot of missed opportunity for Jesse and her plot line around the the racial aspects of it, the socioeconomic aspects of it. And again, we've talked before about careful what you wish for when it comes to stuff like that. But I thought we were at least going to get an acknowledgement about the fact that leaving out the racial part of the ballet stuff, Jesse's new boy love interest, this Juilliard teenager, he was saying that like he gets bullied for what he does by by the people around him. And Jesse at one point says, but, you know, you've dealt with stuff like this before. And I thought we were going to get at least the acknowledgement that hey, you know, we're both black in America. We have to deal with stuff like this all the time. But then she immediately mentions Claudia's spelling or her like not being as smart as her sister. And Mallory gets teased about her writing. And I'm like, oh, God, we are like the, the, the just like so cl- it was like somebody like like walked up to that, walked up to the line and then was like, yeah, and just kidding. We're going to veer veer in the opposite direction. So there was that. And then I mean, the fact that he is African-American or Black of any kind at all. I mean, the fact that his skin is a little bit lighter than Jesse's. We've, again, we've we've had, we've had discussions in the past because the last super special, we noted that this is the second, it was the second time in a row that Claudia's gotten a love interest that was also Asian-American or a- of Asian descendant and, or at least implied. And now we're getting that with Jesse too. And it just... I, again, I don't know how much we want to get into it or unpack either of those things, but it felt important, too big to not mm-hmm. note as part of our main discussion with – but, I, yeah, I, I just don't know how much we want to really – or what there really is to say beyond do better. <laughs> do yeah. better. Uh, in my dream world, that would not have turned into a romantic situation. First of all, age. We were all thinking it. Um, I kind of assumed that when it was like my teachers think that I could go to Juilliard, I was like, oh, is this like Juilliard Junior? You know, because like the yeah. dance or the like da- in the future, right? Like for college, you know, in like four years or whatever, like right, or like a Juilliard summer program, right? Like- That's exactly what I was thinking. But then I was like, but also they're not, you know, enough detail. But whatever, they're like tapping on the door of talking about stereotypes and and then also bullying. And so it's like, all right, if you're gonna put the gun on the stage, then shoot the gun. Like, exactly. reference. Exactly. And here's the thing that is especially frustrating with that part of it is, like, I get when they back off of the racial stuff because not the right person to be having that conversation, right. not equipped, not, not, not depth of knowledge. But first of all, anyone, man or woman, is qualified to talk about fucked up gender roles because we're all subject to that. 
And secondly, Anne, as a queer woman, is going to have some unique ability to talk about that. And especially as, you know, how she writes about Christy and, and being a tomboy and not being a traditionally feminine presenting. She talks about how Christy is her proxy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to armchair analyze or make any presumptions about how Anne identifies or gender or whatever. Staying in my lane as much as possible. And it feels wild to me to to believe that she wouldn't have some kind of the expertise needed to have the conversation that you mentioned, Christy. Mm-hmm. Chrissy, sorry. I am not a Christy. <laughs> <laughs> she was on my brain. Yeah, yeah Chrissy, Christy. I'm, I, I was afraid I was going to do that the entire episode. So I'm thrilled <laughs> that it only happened once. But it, that probably is a good indicator that we're wrapping up with the sort of big thoughts. I did mention that I had a timeline thing that I wanted to jump into as we move into some of our more random things. Or is there anything else we want to get into first before we? Leave it behind. Well, I will say my notes for Stacy. Dad, divorced, diabetes. <laughs> but I do like how, you know, they constantly hearken back to their last visit to New York. But oh, okay, so it's kind of what we're going. There are important things that have been, you know, dispersed through these books like diabetes. And I love that that's constantly brought up because it really is important. I have so many people in my family that are type one and type two, even though I hate Stacy, I like that about her. (laughs) (laughs) It is always interesting the things that they choose to emphasize and remind us about and the things that they don't or downplay or, you know, uh, yeah. You mentioned, you know, the things that they refer back to. And one of them is their previous trips to New York. And the last time that they keep talking about was Stacy's emergency. That was just the last or two books ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I had kind of forgotten about Dawn being so freaked out by it. Like it was one of those I went to double check and I was like, wait, didn't she get past this the last time? And so it's always interesting when they try to retread a plot line like that because, the it, well, it's not the first time that they've done that. But as far as timeline goes, and Kate, you made a joke about this earlier about, you know, just another random two-week vacation. Mm-hmm. We've had this conversation before because the last time we were like unspecified random two-week holiday, it, the book came out in the winter. We had canoned that it was probably winter break. Two weeks is is normal. They didn't want to get into the religious aspect of it called Christmas because, you know, not everybody celebrates. Everybody has different traditions, et cetera, et cetera. N- non-denominational winter holiday. That's what the colleges usually call it, right? Anyway, so I just went back and I was curious of our super specials. There was Babysitters on Board. That came out in the summer, and that was a one-week vacation, but they do not specify when. And in fact, we talk about in that episode, it is a completely, like, divorced from any kind of time. So they don't even mention, like, a break from school. It could have been in the summer. It could have been in the winter. No idea. Next is Summer Vacation. So we know when that happened. The next is winter vacation. So again, we know when that happened. And by the way, summer vacation, winter vacation, both released in June, July, November, December. So they are, the super specials are being released the season that it's happening for the book. The summer vacation was camp. The winter vacation was a one week in the Vermont ski lodge that was part of a school trip. So technically that was, could have been during the school year, I guess. Island Adventure was next. That, they said, was over the summer, and that was over a couple of days. We guessed Labor Day. They said, like, sort of some holiday, but they didn't really specify. It was a long weekend. Long weekend. So we assumed Labor Day. And then California Girls was winter, and that was two weeks. That was the non-denominational. So by my 
calculations. We have now lived the same summer multiple times, and we're going to count this, or these are all happening in the same summer (laughs) and same winter. So we've now had uh, one, two, three, four summers, babysitters on board, summer vacation, island adventure, and now this, we think, because it came out in June. They say summer break, or, or they say school vacation, but they don't indicate what kind. So four summer and um, three winter. So we've been tracking those timelines. I I think this is settling me deeper into my overlapping bubble alternate dimension theories because that was way too complicated for my brain to handle. Even I had to like write it down like four different times to be like, wait, I am so lost in the sauce about where we are. So I I doubt that anybody on the back end as these were being written (laughs) had any idea either. So anyway, that's where we are. I know, I know some people care deeply about that. I wanted to make sure that we had, we took a minute and really oriented ourselves. I love the alternate timeline dimension theory. First of all, it just makes sense. Second of all, it also leaves room for um, the new series to come in. Mm-hmm. They're just timeless, really. <laughs> it's so cheesy, but it's so true. I mean, they really are. Just we wouldn't have those minor tweaks because really all of our tweaks are really not like this is terrible. It's about how to take what's what's there and just make it that much better, especially from a modern perspective. But it's there to begin with. Like if it weren't there, there. That's why we're not talking about, you know, boxcar children or sleepover friends or as much as I love those books. It, it doesn't have the same ability for us to now lovingly go, oh, look, if we just mm-hmm. tweak this little bit, look how much we can take this forward. And, and like, I think that's what I've landed on as being the thing I'm most excited about is seeing in another 20 years where they are and how it, they're being recontextualized again for a new generation of of BSC fans again and again and again. I just, uh, I know it's speaking of cheesy, but you know, I own it. So whatever. <laughs> it's not cheesy at all. I was going to say it's very like, chilly, but I didn't, we had, we had, <laughs> yes, we hadn't tapped in on that God. yet, but. That was actually going to be my, my <laughs> next random thought is because we've had multiple conversations about the, the, you know, slang terms that these girls are using. And we've talked about, do we think that this was, you know, Anna Martin and Scholastic's attempt to create it out in the world, like, you know, trying to make fetch happen with other people? Or were they just saying, this is what these girls do? But yes, <laughs> chili, chili to mean really, really cool. This is, I think, the first time we've seen chili as a as opposed to, you know, dibbly fresh or uh, distant. <laughs> yeah, we actually, I we did have chili before. And I only remember because I that one made sense to me, chili, cool. I was like, okay, I get where we're going with this. But we, oh man, they pushed hard on the chili this time. That's what I, that was my note too. I was like, I think this is a point in my, they're trying to make chili happen favor because woof, it's every other description. I just need to shout out our girl, Anne. You know, we give her a hard time and get nitpicky sometimes, but it, there's always something special. And we pointed this out the last time that she wrote too. The way that, the way that she writes and says things and her her real you understand why Anna Martin is Anna Martin because she writes so so beautifully and I love how she phrases things sometimes. There are a couple that I just, you know, a couple of different times throughout the book I was like, I really like how that was said. One of them uh, just um they were talking about 
the trip up to New York and how many people were there at the train station and waiting for the train and all of the, you know, what it's like to travel in a big group. And they were talking about how Nanny kept calling for David Michael and and the, and the little kids. And I can't remember if it's Christy or Dawn, but one of them observes that they were, I had the feeling that people around us were quickly learning our names. And I was like, I love that observation. That's so smart. That's so, uh, such a funny way of thinking about it. It's so true. Like, that's exactly like, that's how you know you're annoyed when that kid is being obnoxious, but you're like, I know Alistair needs to settle the fuck down or whatever. Alistair would never. I'm sorry. That was slander. But you know what I mean? I I loved that. And so I just wanted to, I knew we were going to be nitpicking something. So I thought it seemed only fair to to really point out some of the really, really lovely parts uh, about these books. I mean, yeah, I just love them. They're so much fun. I really did have a, a, a really fun time with this one. I enjoyed it a lot overall. Yeah. One of the things I really loved was the sort of and this sort of goes to the the writing of this one, the the like framing device, I guess you would call it for mm-hmm. Claudia describing all of her friends. She's thinking about what they're doing to pack for the trip. Like because because yes. we obviously every single book we get the description of all the babysitters and all of the babysitters club intricacies. And usually it's just like, oh, let me tell you about my friends. But here she's like, well, I was packing this and I was worried about this. And then I thought about what about Christy? What would Christy be packing? Because she only, you know, she always wears her turtleneck and sweatshirt and jeans and tennis shoes and blah, blah, blah. But like thinking about it as like, what are they bringing on the trip to sort of represent them as people and their characters? I like I was I mean, that's like the first thing that happens in the book. And I was just like, this is great. I really like this. Seriously, uh that was exactly what started me thinking about it because we're now far enough in and have read enough of these that we're starting to really like, or at least I shouldn't speak for Kate. I'm starting to really feel the repetitiveness of those descriptions to the point where like, I have to like forcibly read my, like make myself read them. My eyeballs just do not want to take it in sometimes. It's gotten to the point where I only really notice or think about it when they're particularly bad and clunky or particularly good. And this one was so lovely. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is such a cool way of approaching this. I wish we got this like every episode where it was like, here's I want to introduce my friends through the lens of how we would approach mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. And I get that there's, you know, we've got 300 more books plus to go through. <laughs> that would be really hard to do every time. But, but. I think that would also, it helps um, people, readers, figure out who you are mm-hmm. because it's it's like that small um, minutia that kind of tells the, like, yes, okay, I identify as this because of this, you know, moment in time and how they reacted. But I don't know, when I was reading it, I was like, yeah, I would pack like that, even though that's not who yeah. I identify as. And so yep. I feel like it's those tiny that's human true. moments that yep. are really important in, in these books. I would say, though, they're probably much better off, I, I mean, or were better off back in the day, keeping it much more rote and simple because you know that there were, even back then, nerds like us who were like, looking for the continuity and everything. Well, in book 37, you mentioned that Claudia packed about this, and but then you mentioned in this that she doesn't actually like sheer tights mm-hmm. because, like, what you know what I mean? Like, that kind of uh, keep it simple because otherwise somebody will latch on to all of those details and, and hold you to them. I do love that they described Christie's packing and outfits as, like, Steve Jobs. For the remainder of the time, I was like, oh, okay, yep. Steve Jobs, got it. she's got her uniform just like steve jobs and it's the same uniform (laughs) yeah exactly maybe maybe throw on that collie baseball hat but you've got the turtleneck and jeans 
every but, time. But is she Whoa. so dedicated Whoa. to making the Babysitter's Club a business that she Steve jobs it? She's like, I don't have time. I think, guys, it might be the other way around. Did we just discover that Steve Jobs is a Christy Thomas super fan and like modeled himself after, I mean, entrepreneurial spirit, check, jeans and turtlenecks, check, little bit of an asshole to the people around you when you're focused on shit, check. I mean, I'm just saying. I also thought about that. There have been wilder theories. I definitely thought about that. (laughs) And I was like, the timeline checks out. I mean, it's not that far off. He would be. Could have been reading them to his daughter. Well, no, let's be real. No, he wouldn't have been reading them to his daughter. He would have had to acknowledge that she was his daughter to read she existed. books to her. Y- yeah, you're right. You're right. Backtracking on that part. Uh, but uh, anyway, this is so random. But speaking of adults and children, one of my favorite tiny little details, and I think this speaks to Anne's writing also, but also just a fun little random thought. When they're talking about the limo, the fact that they wanted the same limo because it played the... Home, I, I can't home remember what it played range. in... Oh, Home, home on the range. This time, he's like, no, it plays Lil Cucaracha. And I was like, wait. So in this world, does like every fancy stretch limo in New York play a novelty horn honk? Or do the Cummings only hire novelty limos? Like, that made me laugh. And then also, they're like talking about the describing them. And they talk about the divider. And I can't remember who was describing them now. It was either Christy or Dawn. But Whoever was giving the description says, I think that's so the driver can have some privacy. Yep, I noted (laughs) that too. Of course, from a kid's perspective, the driver's going to want to put it up. So like, ugh, these fucking kids, I don't want to hear them anymore. I just loved that. I thought that was so cute. I also loved their, I can't remember who was talking about it, but it might have been Mallory talking about Lois Lowry reading A Summer to Die and then referencing the Anastasia books, which I thought was hilarious because I think it was two days ago now at this point, because I read yesterday, I was driving past a house that was being built and it had like one of those turret rooms that was round. And I made me think of Anastasia Krupnik because she had that like round room. And I always wanted that that as a kid. And I was like, so and then reading this, I was like, oh my God, it's like Anastasia Krupnik weekend. (laughs) That is too funny. I actually knew a girl in high school who had a room like that, like her room where her house was one of those old ones in Cincinnati down on the east side. And um, I was like, oh, I am so jealous of you. She was like, oh, yeah, this was – I demanded mm-hmm. this room when I was a kid for that very reason. But I, it was, like, sort of that same thing I was thinking about because we've noted this, you know, because Lois Lowry has come up before. She's gotten a shout-out. But we always note it's such a weird mix of, like, what real things they mention and and then fake ones and, like, usually in the same – conversation or like the things that they name check and the things that they don't because when they're talking about the Dakota they call out specifically Rosemary's baby was filmed there <laughs> which first of all why were these children watching Rosemary's baby but I mean I I, I was too so I can't really it, it wasn't a good idea but it, I was and then they're like and famous people have even died there I was like okay so you're willing to tell kids send kids to look up Rosemary's baby but you can't say the name John Lennon like I if you're going to acknowledge that somebody famous died there, why not say who it was? I don't know. It was just a weird choice. But also, thinking about all of those things, no wonder why Dawn is terrifying. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> like, I was going to say, I feel like there's going to be some readers that are going to turn into Dawn's being like, mm-hmm. the Babysitter's Club told me to go watch Rosemary's Baby. And, <laughs> and so I did. And, and so I'm, I did. can't sleep. I'm <laughs> losing my mind because I just can't sleep. I'm terrified of everything. <laughs> 
Does it really? I don't even know if it indicated that it was a horror. No, movie. it like, didn't. Can you imagine like, like going to see like. I mean, I obviously filled that in for myself, but like as a kid, especially because now kids can just go on to whatever and access every. It's not like they have to try really hard. I did like they had to talk about going to return the movies. Uh, at, at one point, I was like, oh, I miss those days. Um, and now because now you know they just look it up, and I can just see a kid like turning that on and be like, dude, what am I watching? <laughs> There was lots of fun little details like that in this mm-hmm. one. Like we could probably do random thoughts for the next conservatively a million years. But I, I don't know. They mentioned Christie's uniform. Was there any real standout fashion, Kate? Not really, but there is one that I really have to call out because it made me cry when I was reading. Oh boy, good cry, bad good cry, cry. emotional cry. Um, it's from the epilogue okay. when they're all returning home. Christie's brothers and sisters and mom and stepfather were wearing blue t-shirts with Thomas printed on the fronts and Brewer printed on the backs. I think Christie was a little embarrassed by that, but when Emily presented her with her own shirt, Christie nearly cried. And I did cry. And it was embarrassing because I was in Panera when I was reading yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm I'm reading a Babysitter's Club book and I am literally sobbing right now. This is great. <laughs> and the best part is you have the physical copies. So like everybody, it's not like you could like claim that you were reading about right you know the state of the world but <laughs> yeah it just it like no. warmed my heart because like all of them are wearing the shirts and it's they're all thomas brewers and it's i just love it that's really lovely we've talked before about how watson is a slept on character mm-hmm. but it's been a hot minute and we need to it, perfect time to acknowledge that he is th- that is a solid solid stand-up dude and he does not get enough love and i do that was one of our favorite parts of the the mm-hmm. tv show was that mark Furstein got to really you know, show people what an amazing stand-up dude mm-hmm. Watson really was. And and now looking back, we can recognize that he's the best. You're right. That was super, super sweet. Mm-hmm. Yep. So any other final ideas before we wrap this thing up? I mean, I could conservatively talk as with all of these books for the next six months. So uh, uh, I'll spare okay. everybody all of my like, I loved this, <laughs> right. I loved this, and I love this. I think this. we touched on the big, big, the big little yeah. random stuff, if that makes sense. Well, I think we should let everyone know where to find us and find you, Chrissy. Is there anywhere you would like people to find you on the internet or in the real world? Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, On the internet, I don't – I mean, I've got Instagram, which I think it's just C. Varnell, but I, there's not a lot of posts, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't – I that's something I need to get better at. Um. Is is actually posting that. I was just realizing I don't Insta yeah, at all either. So you're in good company. I'm a stalker, not a poster. Yes. This is me giving snaps, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, but I mean, the the Chattanooga Public Library's Instagram, I'm usually on there a lot. So that I guess do that. And check out and support your local yes. library wherever mm-hmm. you are. I think we should shout that out. That's especially right now, yes. really, really important. Yes, it is very important. And, um, you know, continue to fight the good fight for all those listeners out there with banned books. You know, they're they're coming yeah. coming after the books for the youth. And that's I'm not a fan of it. We won't let that happen. Or we'll do everything in our power to do it anyway. Because I uh, had overestimated our ability to stop bad things from happening. So, you know. Yeah. On that note. (laughs) In the libraries. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. Well, and for us on the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC. And if you want to email us uh, with any thoughts, questions, concerns that can't be contained in a, a DM on either of those other platforms, you can email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. 
And this very special episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.